Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church. To all of you in the East Auditorium, I was just over there. It's good to see you here in worship today. Those of you joining us online, hello and welcome. And to everybody here in the West Auditorium, thanks for being here. Can I just tell you straight up, I count it a privilege to be uh, part of your staff team and a true privilege to spend time with you each week in looking at God's Word. And that's what we're going to do today. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team. And um, before we look at Scripture today, just want to remind you of something coming up this week that uh, doesn't, as a matter of fact, this has never come along that I can recall in all the years that I've been here. We're pretty judicious when it comes to inviting outside speakers into the life of our church for a lot of different reasons, but now and then we do. And so this coming week, we have uh, a friend of mine by the name of Jody Owens coming to spend Friday night and Saturday morning with us. He's... Um, He's a professor of biblical studies, particularly Old Testament studies, at Johnson University down in Knoxville, Tennessee. So every summer I go and spend a week listening to this guy just like, there's a fire hose coming at you of stuff. I go, how come I didn't know that? How come I didn't know that? It's a week-long seminar that I go to. And this past summer, in early June, I said, why don't you come to First Christian Church and let us as a church experience this fire hose at least for a few moments. It's not going to be quite like that, but here's what was drawing, drew my attention. Last spring when we did this series on Leviticus, uh, the response from the congregation was so overwhelming, people saying, I'd like more information, and so we can't always get to everything that we'd like to get to in a, in a short amount of a time in a sermon. So join us this coming Friday night for an hour or sa- and Saturday morning for two hours. We'd appreciate it if you'd sign up at firstdecatur.org slash what's happening. Um, registration is not necessary, but it does help us prepare accordingly. And uh, we've had tons of people, a lot of people already sign up. I'd love to have you join us. That's this coming Friday night and Saturday morning, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you there. All right, but for today in looking at Scripture, I want to start um, by issuing some statements that, frankly, are probably fairly what fairly unpopular. Um, uh, to the point where there's the sort of statements that popular culture would go, you're all wrong, Wayne Kent, and so let me see if I can just start off and see how unpopular these statements are here. For example, pickle juice is delicious, nutritious, and a treat for the mouth and the body. Pretty unpopular. Some of you like pickle juice. Are you kidding me? Why? I mean, I think the pickle juice, wouldn't that like ease a mosquito bite or something? That's about as, anyways, okay. Here's another one that's unpopular. Vegetables are better than dessert. We got some chatter going on here, right? Okay. Here's one that might, room temperature butter is the truth. So uh, what's with that? Do you leave your butter on the counter for like a week at a time? Okay. All right. I guess so far what I'm saying isn't so unpopular after all. If the frosting on your cupcake is taller than the cupcake itself, that's too much frosting. That's definitely unpopular to say that, right? Read it again. If the frosting on your cupcake is taller than the cupcake, that's too much. There's never too much frosting, is there? There there is too much frosting? Okay. Okay. Here's another unpopular saying, I enjoy getting mosquito bites. Does anybody say that? No. Or here, what about this way? 
The Cubbies are always a better team than the Cards. <laughs> Is that popular? What did you Cubbies people do this past week? You decimated the team. Uh, suffering for Jesus? <laughs> suffering for Jesus. That's, <laughs> that's the Cubbies mantra right there. I'm a Cubbies fan. I'm taking it for the kingdom. <laughs> Or is this unpopular? The Cards are always a better team than the Cubbies. No, no that's quite popular in my mind, right? Quite popular. Here's one. Jesus is the only way of salvation. All other religions do not provide a truthful relationship with God. Hmm. Is that popular or unpopular? Uh, depends where you are, right? Of all the statements that I've made today, the last one I would suggest, friends, is the most unpopular when it comes to our present culture's viewpoint of religion. Does that make sense? After all, some would say, the key to religious truth is to discover your own truth and live that out. If it's Buddhism, if it's universalism or Islam, if you choose to follow the church of the flying spaghetti monster called Pastafarianism, whatever, if it's Whatever it is, if it's truth, then you go ahead and follow it and it'll be all right. Pastafarianism, what's that? As there is truly original in that. It's the religion in which people wear pasta colanders on their heads. They do this. And there are adherents to that religion all around the world. I don't know why, but they do it. They do it. So we're talking about a rather unpopular belief today. An unpopular belief that we hold here at First Christian Church and frankly, that most of historical Christianity has held, that Jesus is the only way to experience eternal salvation. Now, that opinion, while it's unpopular in present culture, is not a new opinion. It's formed by generations of theologians and Christians who have studied the Bible for almost two millennia now. But I would suggest to you, friends, that if you hold that position, if you're like me and say that Jesus is the only way of salvation, if you're like our church that says Jesus is the only way of salvation, you need to know that we are in a minority position in this matter these days. We are in a minority position within popular culture. And sadly, from my perspective, in much of Western Christianity today, we are also in a minority position. And that's the truth. Much of Western Christianity has moved away from Jesus being the only way of salvation. Why am I bringing this to you today? Why do we want to talk about this? Well, frankly, this is one of the most important matters within Christian faith. And it's really, really important to me as the pastor of this church that we recognize this together. During the second half of this summer, we're bringing a variety of different pastoral voices to you from the pulpit. And the goal is to allow each pastor to bring a matter of importance to the church that might not otherwise fit into a sermon series common theme, you know. So when we put a sermon series together, we say we're going to deal with this and deal with aspects of that. But sometimes there are things that are sort of not random topics, but topics that you got to go, okay, how can we fit? So what we've done is we said, we just got a bunch of, if you will, random issues that we need to bring to the life of the church, and we're going to do it. It's like we're going on a trip together. We're stuffing everything in a bag, including the kitchen sink, and off we go. And so um, this matter of Jesus as the only way of salvation is really important 
that we nail this down. It's real important that you nail that down and that we nail it down as a congregation. Now, I'm looking forward to more of the topics that I'm bringing to you in the weeks ahead. We're going to, for example, we're going to examine the nature of the church universal. What does it mean when we say we are the church? Not just a congregation, but part of the church. What does it mean when we say that the church is involved in mission work around the world? Those are some of the things that are coming our way. But for today, this is our topic, that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. In other words, when people would claim, say, hey, my goal or the goal of religion should be diversity of faith representations in settings, we would say, fine. And we would say, people of other faiths might be absolutely wonderful people, and when it comes to people who are involved and can be involved in Christianity, we'd say, we are completely diverse. We are completely open to anybody and everybody of any race, any creed, any color, whatever, being coming part of the story of Christianity. We are diverse, but we proclaim an exclusive faith that once in the body of Christ, only Christians are saved. Jesus Christ is the only way to God, and it's definitely unpopular. So to look at this today, I want to take a different approach to our scriptural passage. Typically, when it comes to preaching, when it comes to homiletics, which is what preaching is, the fancy word for preaching, we would hear at First Christian Church, we'd take a, a um, <clears throat> if you will, a, a main passage of Scripture and unpack that, exegete that, and then we might use supporting Scriptures to, to explain that. But for today, instead of doing it that way, I just want you to hear a variety of Scriptures that all support and point out that Jesus is the only way of salvation that his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection point to the full viable effectiveness of Jesus as our way of salvation. Let's start with a passage of scripture that you probably know. It's going to be on the screens. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You probably know that. You've heard that passage of scripture before maybe the most popular biblical passage within Christianity. But may I remind you where that passage goes on from there. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to do what? To save, to provide salvation through him. And then the next verse, verse 18, is even a little bit more complicated. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's good news. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because what? They've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, says that salvation is found in no one else, no one else apart from Jesus. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one. Not, not just a few, but no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul the Apostle, writing to his friend Titus, says, When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us. This is the passage about salvation. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul carries on when writing to the Ephesians. He said, It's by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Taken separately and together, 
the, the overall statement of Scripture when it comes to salvation, these Scriptures all point to one fundamental truth, as proclaimed by a variety of biblical authors across a variety of time that we find within Scripture, that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and no other personal religion. And you might choose to agree. That's your prerogative, to disagree, pardon me. You might choose to disagree with that statement. That's definitely what you get to do. But if you're going to disagree, at least acknowledge, truthfully to yourself, in transparency to yourself, say, well, I'm choosing not to believe that. I'm choosing to disagree with Scripture. Fair enough, you could do that, but at least acknowledge that that's your position. And there are days, I must tell you, when I wish that this wasn't true. There are days when I wish there were other ways to God other than Jesus Christ because it sure would make my job a lot easier. Then go ahead, do what you want, you know. But, but I have to say that regardless of how wonderful people are in other faiths, fair enough. But what the Scriptures say is that Christianity is a very exclusive religion that is open to everybody. The exclusivity, though, is based on the fact that we believe, the Scriptures proclaim over and over again, there's only one way to experience God, and that is through Jesus Christ. Now, of course, talking about this salvation through Jesus assumes two things. First of all, you know what Christians mean when we use the word term salvation. And secondly, based on that definition of salvation, that you realize you have a need for it. And, you know, there are all kinds of... Um, theological ways to describe what salvation is. And if you look in biblical dictionaries or biblical commentaries or, or theological treatises, you, there are books, you know, this thick that are written on how to get to what salvation means. But I, I, rather than use all those theological terms today, maybe I could just describe it to you in, in a few ways that would, would seem to make sense. First of all, to say what salvation is, we have to say that salvation is a restored relationship with God. And to do this, to explain this to you, I'm going to need a volunteer. Jay Maxwell, if you would come and stand, sit with me right here. You didn't know you were going to get, you're going, you're kidding me. Why did I sit this close? Just take a seat right there on one of those stools. I promise this isn't going to be painful. All right? I've known Jay since he was this tall. He's taller than me now. I know he could beat me up, so I'll be very careful. <laughs> you're there, okay? Just hang with me for just a minute. See, Scripture states there are moments in the early development of humanity in which a relationship with God was really quite simple. As a matter of fact, the book of Genesis tells us that the early days of Adam's life, the first human, at the end of each day, he would literally walk through the Garden of Eden and God would hang, with it, hang out with him. And the two of them would have conversations. And they'd chat about the events of the day. But that was before sin was introduced into humanity's experience. So in those days, a visit with God was not life-threatening. But once sin entered the story, once Adam sinned, then to be in close proximity with God was for God then to be in proximity to sin. And since one of the main characteristics of God is that God is holy and set apart, if God touches sin, then there's no difference between God and humanity, right? And so consequently, um, God said, I can never be around sin. I can't, sin, sin and I cannot be in contact together. And when Adam sinned, the, con, the daily conversations between God and Adam stopped. And it was like, I'm not God, but this is a description of what it was like. It was like wanting to have a conversation with Jay, and he's way over there. 
And I'm young. Jay, how are you today? Pretty good. Can you tell me what you had for breakfast today? Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> no one wants this yelling back and forth between God, right? There's the Bette Midler song that says that God is watching us from a distance. Who wants a God who watches us from a distance? If I'm going to serve God and walk with God, I want to walk with God. And yet for some of us, at times we feel when we're having these chats with God, we've got, we're, we're screaming at heaven and it feels like heaven's not responding. Well, salvation is that we experience a closeness. We experience this. I don't know if when you were a kid you ever sat on my knee, but we're going to not do it today. <laughs> you, I can sit on your knee, yeah, right. <laughs> so what did you have for breakfast today? Coffee. Coffee. You notice the difference here? Immediately there's, there's intimacy, there's discussion, and there's like, why would you only have coffee? Do you always only have coffee for breakfast? Yeah, I'm not a breakfast eater. You're not a breakfast eater. Oh, okay, all right. Do you have any questions about life that you'd like to ask me? Not in front of everyone. Not in front of everyone. <laughs> But the reality is it would be a whole lot easier to ask those questions in this setting versus yelling it across the stage in front of everybody. Can you thank Jay for helping us out? <laughs> Jay, I notice your grandmother's just beaming with pride with how well you've helped with this sermon today. Favorite grandchild. Yeah, that's right. Friends, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came as the sinless Son of God in human flesh to redeem the conversations between God and people. You, through Jesus Christ, have an ability to have that daily conversation with God Almighty. How? Well, salvation not only provides that conversation, salvation also provides a forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Sin has a penalty, and Jesus paid that penalty, death. A Christian is saved from sin. A Christian's sins are forgiven through a grace gift from God. There's nothing you can do to earn that forgiveness. I'm, struggle, I, I, I'm sad when I see people trying to do things that, man, if I do this, then God will love me. No, the Scripture says that God so loved the world before you even knew there was a God. God so loved the world. He sent His Son, Jesus. There's nothing you can do to earn that forgiveness. It's a grace given through Jesus' death. And friends, that is an exclusive claim of Christian faith. No other religion... No other religion offers a graceful forgiveness of sin. Other religions say, well, you can get forgiveness of sins by doing, doing, doing. But within Christianity, forgiveness of sins is offered truly and fully and completely through the grace gift of Jesus Christ. And in doing that, in dying for us, salvation then secures an eternal destiny for us. In heaven, in God's presence, for eternity. That's right. A Christian knows the end result of life. We know where we are headed. And I, I must tell you, friends, that in my years of pastoral ministry, I've seen the results of this kind of deep-seated knowing that, hey, my future is taken care of. Regardless of what happens between now and heaven, I'm good. 
It may be ugly between now and then, but I'm good. I see it most clearly during funerals. There is always grief at funerals. We've have a, we have a funeral this week. Um, a longtime member of our church passed away on Friday evening. Betty Morthland died on Friday night. She joined the church in 1957, longer than I've been alive. She was been part of the life of this church. And, you know, there's going to be grief at Betty's funeral come Thursday. But here's what I've seen over and over again, that when a person, when a person dies and they die knowing Jesus Christ, the family has this sense of, maybe the best word is not peace, but pause. Pause. The relationship with mom or dad or a spouse or a sibling, even when a child dies, as, pain, as awful as that is, horrid, we say the relationship is paused. There's a sense that this relationship will be picked up again in the days ahead. But when the deceased dies and is not a Christ follower, I will tell you, friends, the grief is usually unbearable. It's not a pause. It's a final goodbye. It's a finale that the relationship will never be, done, never be picked up again. I recall one funeral many, many years ago where the father um, uh, of this family and the husband was dying. He had cancer. And he was a violent man. And um, he abused his wife and his kids in ways that, frankly, I don't want to talk about in a public setting. It was awful, absolutely awful. And yet, you know, you have this strange thing where despite the abuse, the kids still love their dad and the wife. It's the oddest part of human, one of the oddest parts of human life. And um, he died. And a, a few weeks prior to his death, I, I'd been at their, his house many times and, you know, socially with the family and that sort of thing. And... Um, they said, hey, hey, dad's got cancer and he's going to die. Will you visit with him? And I visited with him a number of times leading up to his death. And I would, you know, try to prod him towards, you know, are you interested in the things of faith? And he made it very clear. Up to the very last day, I am not interested in the things of faith. I'm, it has no impact upon my life whatsoever. And he had no, dis no desire to accept Christ or nothing. And then he died. And we went through the funeral. It was, I remember the chapel where it was. It wasn't in the city here. And um, those adult kids, dear, dear friends of mine, I, I, maybe you're unaware of what happens at the end of a funeral. You know, you come to the end of a funeral, and usually the, the audience, the congregation is ushered out, and the family is left there, to, if you will, to look at a body one last time. And then usually the pastor is standing there and one or two funeral directors and then they are ushered out, and then the, ca the casket is closed. That's usually the, how things work here in the Midwest, at least. And uh, we were working our way through that. The, the audience, the congregation, had already been left. They'd already been dismissed. And here's the family, his wife. There's three adult kids and the grandkids. And uh, it was all I could do to stop the daughter from climbing in that casket with him the grief, the sobs racking the bodies of those adult children because it was like, it was inconsolable. The regrets that could, the regrets that could never be mollified. And as far as I know, there was little doubt in anyone's mind that he entered eternity without the saving work of Jesus Christ being applied to his life. And so you're standing there as the pastor of this family, 
And the unspoken statement is, this man is headed to hell. Awful. Instead of that scene, though, Christians believe that Jesus offers us salvation for eternity through his ministry, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And we believe that that salvation is offered exclusively in Jesus. After all, if other religious options were viable and effective, if other faiths could provide a relationship with God, if other faiths could provide forgiveness of sins through grace so that you don't, know, so you don't have to worry about what I do, how much do I have to do to get past my sins, if other faiths could provide an eternal destiny in heaven, if all that was available through other religions, then frankly, why would God bother in sending Jesus Christ to this earth? Why his mission? Why would he die? Why become Emmanuel, God in the flesh? If other options count, then why go to all the trouble and all the pain and all the struggle that Jesus went through? It makes no sense whatsoever. Think about it. God in the flesh came because there was no other alternative. Because as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if that's not truth, friends, if that's not truth, then Jesus died. Jesus died, and if he, pardon me, if Jesus lied, if that's not truth, Jesus lied. And I, I've got a problem with that, because his death then is, doesn't count. Went to all that for, no for, for all that trouble for no reason whatsoever. And if he lied, then we've all been duped. And if he lied about that, then what other things did he lie about that maybe now, what other portions of things did he say that are now fallible and, and cannot be trusted? Fraudulent. If Jesus lied, then I would declare myself a non-Christian. However, since I believe it's true, and since I want you to believe it's true, I need to answer this question. What should we do? What should we do? How could we respond to Jesus' exclusive offer of salvation? Well, first of all, repent. That's straight up. Receive forgiveness of your sin. Proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior. Straight up. Forgiveness of sin is ready and available for your... In 2021, it's available and ready for you at your pickup, at your convenience. <laughs> Wherever you want to drive up to, it's ready for pickup right now. I'm not making light of it, but it's like, like an announcement at, in, at Walmart. Stat, stat, stat. Clean up, clean up, clean up. Hardware aisle, 17. Clean up, clean up, clean up. Stat, your sin can be forgiven. Wayne Kent's sin can be forgiven right now. Now, I'm not making light of your sin or my sin. Our sin damns us to hell. But forgiveness is available right now. Why? Because you don't have to do something to get it. You simply say, Lord, I repent. It's mine. I'll take it. It's a grace gift. Sin's cleanup is available to you right now. How do you do that? Pray. God, forgive me. I trust Jesus' work on Calvary for my salvation. That's it. It's that easy. It's costly. I don't want to mis mislead you. It's very costly. The forgiveness of our, of our sin sent Jesus to Calvary. He lost his life. He died a very painful and cruel death. 
very costly. But divine grace-filled forgiveness is fully available to you today, right now. And that acceptance of that gift is called a lot of things. It's called conversion. It's called crossing the line of faith. It's called proclaiming Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your leader and forgiver. It's frankly moving from non-Christian to Christianity. It's becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And then, what do you do next after that? In response to that repentance, well, you get baptized. Here at First Christian Church, we believe your first response to conversion involves baptism. That's why we have so many baptisms around here. We believe it's a mandate from the Bible. We'd remind you we've got baptism scheduled this afternoon, 3 o'clock down at the lake, right, right, right outside the beach house. The weather's going to be spectacular, 80 degrees, sunny, and uh, the park district has dumped, graciously dumped four truckloads of sand into the beach for us this afternoon just for our baptism. So how cool is that? I'd invite you if you'd like to come and be with us. We had, at this point, 30 people signed up. If you'd like to sign up today, we'd love to have you. Stop by the welcome desk if you want to come and watch these and listen to these people getting baptized. We're going to have testimonies from them. It's bring a lawn chair and let's have a wonderful afternoon. It's called First Christian Church and be together as a church. If you've received forgiveness of your sins and proclaimed that Jesus is in charge of your life, you consider yourself a Christian, you've not been baptized, I need to say, step up to the plate today. We can make it happen, okay? Stop by any of the welcome desks, the two welcome desks in the lobby. We'll get you all lined up. So repent, get baptized. Acknowledge then that you have some spirituality that's called Christianity. In other words, don't start and end with the forgiveness of sins. Christianity is a daily walk with God. It's the conversation business of what Jay and I had over there. Sitting with God on a bench daily. It's the walking daily in life with the spirituality lens in front of you. It's not... It's what am I saying here? It's, it's, not, not, not that it's, it's not like every conversation, each event, every moment is a matter of spirituality where Jesus or God has to be mentioned. No, it's not that. But it is that each decision, each conversation, each, each event, is, there's an awareness that God's grace and God's work can show up right then. And you look for it. Because we say that in everything we do, we're choosing Christian spirituality. And to that end, we choose to not only get, repent and get baptized and live life with that lens, then that daily walk plays out this way. We live differently. We live differently than someone who has not accepted Jesus' offer of salvation. How do we live differently? Well, we live differently through our language. Do you talk differently than the people around you who haven't, don't follow Jesus? We live differently through our disposition in life. We choose to be people of kindness. We live differently with our pocketbook. We live differently with our driving habits. Ooh, how's that going for you? I've seen some of you drive. We live differently regarding our viewing habits. What are we watching? We live differently regarding what we write on our keyboards in social media. We live differently when it comes to our plans for the future. Not just tomorrow, but what are we planning 10 years, 15 years from now? Is Jesus in the middle of that? We live differently when it comes to our generosity, not just of our pocketbooks, but of our lives. 
perhaps most easily demonstrated in a willingness to forgive others. So we live differently in responses to our neighbors, differently in our responses to our relatives. We live differently in our responses to our spouse, to your, to your spouse, to your children. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you live differently in your responses to the culture around us, to the government. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we live differently in our responses to those who despise us. Because there are some who do despise us. How are we responding? And if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we live, we live differently in the way in which we respond to those we despise. Friends, Jesus Christ has provided you with salvation through grace. I invite you to live it out accordingly. The scripture says it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works. You can't boast about what you've got. You say thank you. And I'll live differently. Would you stand together please? In the East Auditorium, in the, here in the West, at home, let's take a posture of prayer. And um, I want to pray for you today. So I invite you to pray with me and um, let's spend a, moment, a couple moments here. God, I want to thank you for the coming of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I know in some settings it's not popular these days to proclaim that Jesus is the only way of salvation. I get that, but I'm going to land where the Bible lands and um, affirm that today. I'm going to affirm God that as he is the way of salvation, that then I have a responsibility to respond to that, to repent, to get baptized, to be a person of spirituality and to live my life differently. And God, I pray for each person joining me today, whether it be here in the auditoriums or online. I pray, Lord, that we would, um, we would choose to respond to this offer of salvation. And Lord, if there's somebody in the room, somebody watching online right now, or perhaps even months from now, I pray that you would graciously allow them to pray a prayer that simply goes like this. God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ. I choose to repent. I don't even know all the details of that yet, Lord, but I'm aware that I'm far from you, and I don't want to be far from you. I want those conversations. I want my future to be sealed not only for this life, but the life ahead. And so, Lord, for each person, as they pray that prayer, may you graciously work within us. Work within them, Lord. Today, God, some people are crossing the line of faith. They're moving from non-follower to follower. They're moving from non-Christian to Christian. Affirm that within them, deep within them, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ.